Father God, thank you. Thank you for gathering us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the name that's a, truly above every name, uh, seated in the heavenlies and head of the body and uh, pouring out blessings upon us from there. Father, what a what a position we have in him at the right hand, Father, of yourself. And uh, Father, I thank you that... Uh, we have opportunity to gather here using this uh, means this morning. Pray that you bless us greatly as we open your word together, and we surely look forward to that. And studying here in uh, Paul's great letter to the Philippian believers, Father, please uh, use these words from your word to strengthen us, uh, give us uh, endurance and uh, conviction of spirit, and so that we might be able to walk the path that Paul walked and finish up as he did, having kept the faith. Father, we just look forward to that day when we'll hear the shout and the call and the voice, even the voice of the archangel, uh, that we might be caught up to meet our dear Lord in the air and henceforth evermore to be with him. So, Father, we look forward to that and look forward to our meeting this morning. Thank you, Father, for, again, our opportunity to gather. Thank you for the liberties that we have in this nation still uh, to gather freely, to study your word. I pray that that might continue. Please give our leaders, especially our president and those that serve with him, great, great wisdom to navigate in uh, stormy seas where every enemy is uh, there to attack and destroy. But we just pray, Father, that they may be victorious and encouraged in their efforts on behalf of our people and our nation. Now, as we turn to your word, Father, we look for great blessing. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Okay, well, we, uh, we have a, another great privilege this morning to look into God's word and uh, I'm encouraged uh, every morning we gather, uh, whether it be just with a few of you or many, that we can open this word of grace together. And the letter to the Philippians is certainly uh, a place to spend much of our time partaking of the fruit of the word and uh, gaining uh, victory in so many ways, uh, through the power of it. Uh, what, a, what a blessing that is. Uh, I've entitled today's message, Not Only Believing. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> may seem like a challenging way to put it, uh, but it's straight out of the Word of God. Here it is. Paul has written it, right? Uh, he, he writes about um, uh, faith, and then he writes about Something else, which we want to focus on, especially here today. Uh, last time we began, uh, again, looking at Paul's great example of suffering as, a, as a, uh, uh, an example set before all of us. His life was a ministry of sacrifice, and even while in bondage in Rome, waiting for uh, opportunity, to provide his defense, even before Caesar himself, right? Uh, while waiting, uh, there were opportunities to share Christ 
with many. And uh, Paul writes in the first chapter here about how great a success that was. In other words, how great God worked. It's not how great Paul worked, it's how great God worked (laughs) through Paul, right? That Paul is highlighting here. And so there was a great victory that the Lord of glory had worked out there in Rome through Paul. Uh, Paul's imprisonment didn't end his ministry. It only brought it into a new phase of glorious fruitfulness. And uh, that's just a great, great example for us. And Paul sets forth himself as an example. And apart from this example, we would be... uh, far poorer spiritually, and I think that will be manifested each time we open the book of Philippians together here. That's my goal, at least, that it would be clear. Um, Now, it was not Paul, then, that everyone was witnessing. (laughs) It was the Christ in Paul that was being witnessed. Many saw it, and they were changed eternally by that, even those in Caesar's household. In other words, uh, it's not clear whether that just means the Praetorian Guard or others there who were responsible for Paul while he was imprisoned. He was under house arrest at this time. But uh, it's pretty clear there were also others in Caesar's household, perhaps even of Caesar's family, that were... uh, transformed by the power of grace. So uh, we'll leave it for another time to look into that further. So Paul summarizes the work of God in he himself uh, in verse 19 of Philippians 1. Uh, I'll just read that. Uh, For I know that this shall turn, meaning this, meaning my imprisonment, right, and all the circumstances of it, I know that this shall turn to my salvation, through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And we've come to understand much of what that means, I trust, here in our studies. He goes on, speaks of his heart's desire. His heart's desire is that, uh, according to verse 20, uh, that uh, Christ would be magnified even in his body, right? And he says, since he doesn't know the outcome of his time in Rome, he says whether it be by life or by death. So whether in living or in dying, either way, uh, Christ might be magnified. And so he really is widening the focus considerably, even to include his dying. Uh, Surely the living was to be an example for the Philippians, and Paul sets forth that, certainly, uh, before them. But also, if that be God's decision, right, not Paul's, even his dying would be uh, exemplif- exemplary of the great work of uh, Christ in him through his spirit, as uh, verse 19 indicated there so clearly, right, and so powerfully. And in verse 21, he repeats that idea with these words that that really are inscribed in stone, as it were, on our hearts, I hope. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 
We looked at that last time. You might be wondering how it could be still. It may come to, to mind as sort of a conundrum. How could be, dying be a, a, a blessing, right? A blessing for whom? And I mentioned last time that one of my favorite commentators actually made the statement that uh, there was no way that could be true. And so he, he came up with some alternative um, explanation, as it were, for what Paul meant here. But, but it is clear uh, whether it's to live or to die, uh, since God is sovereign and since his plan is being accomplished, right, in and through all of us, right, and uh, therefore... Uh, making it very personal, Paul simply says, even if that should be the end point here, and it should be accomplished quite soon, he said, uh, it would be for my gain, and not only his, but also the Philippians. So whether he lives or dies, uh, Christ is the very center focus of Paul's uh thoughts and mind okay so now remember the background uh paul will get to it in chapter 3 verse 7 uh but uh what he what he says there having given up everything for the sake of christ he says in chapter 3 verse 7 uh what things were gained to me those i counted loss for Christ, right? So since he'd already given up everything, what more was there to lose that was critically important, right? And I think you should keep that in your mind when you think of these words, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? Paul had already given up everything else. (laughs) It was only Christ that he cared about uh, and lived for, right? Okay, um, and he was bold in that, he says, and we didn't read that verse today, but uh, his boldness was not only in speaking, but in living, and I think that's a, an important thing to keep in mind. Our outline for today as we go on in Philippians, and uh, we'll go on through the end of the chapter. I mentioned before, I don't think the chapter divisions are important most of the time. Uh, sometimes in entirely the wrong place even. This time I don't know that it's in the wrong place. I just think it's a break that I don't like. <laughs> so I would rather not stop quite there, right, at the end of the chapter. But our example today will be on how Paul's example is applied, how it's applied in this letter. And first of all, he reasserts uh, his example in a, in a very uh, interesting and, and powerful and you might think confusing way, but it's really not. And that's by uh, underscoring his conflict, his conflict on behalf of the Philippians. Then his example will be applied as he explains his expectation for the Philippians, when they see his example, how does he expect them to respond? Okay, his expectation uh, will be uh, outlined there in some detail. 
And then Paul's example will be applied in the sense of how God will work it all out, what the outworking of his power will be, right? Paul is the example of that, but he's looking to the Philippians to see how they will respond. What what will the outworking of God's power be in them? And then finally, the exhortation will be given in some detail. So Paul will exhort them in specific words to accomplish the purpose that he believes God has for them. So um, this is kind of the concluding part of the introduction to the letter to the Philippians. And all the themes of Philippians are being revealed, only some of the themes are only hinted at and will be revealed in much more detail as we go along. Uh, But let's start out there in those uh, verses we looked at quickly before. um, And I'd like Patty to read them for us um, in Philippians chapter 1 and uh, verses 29 and 30. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which ye saw in me, and now here to be in me. Okay, now we use the word conflict uh, rather differently today than they did when the King James was translated. Um, When the King James was translated, the English language was under rapid change from what it had been into what it really is today. And that was the the period of time in English history when many changes were occurring. Conflict uh, then meant something with a broader sense, uh, somewhat different than what it does today, but not entirely different either. We looked at uh, how that word was used, I think, last time somewhat. And uh, the Greek word behind that word conflict there is agon. Now, agon, uh, if you think of uh, uh, English words that have that root word in them, agon, uh, the main ones might be agony, agony, agon, agony, and uh, agonize, agon is a root word in both of those, okay? And, uh, and so our English word agony uh, expresses something of the meaning here. But again, the language has changed over time. Uh, I wouldn't consider agony to be um, a reasonable translation of this Greek word here, uh, just like conflict seems a little off, right? Uh, what it's speaking of is quite literally in, in, in Greek times when, when the language uh, of the New Testament was used uh, in common speech, right? The agon was the place of assembly, right? And you you either went there by on your, under your own willpower to participate in a sporting event or maybe a political event, or you may have been taken there, carried there even, to participate in some other kind of event. Uh, but it came to mean a, a, a place of contest, 
and often that was a sporting event. Okay. And so the, the Agan was where the sporting events were held. So usually that was in a Colosseum or something of that sort. Right. And so when Paul is writing about a great conflict, he's, he's not using that word in a literal sense, but rather figuratively. Right. And what he's saying is that in his heart and in his mind, there is a great event occurring. It's significant, indeed. Uh, It's not a battle, necessarily. It's rather a race. And the word is translated race uh, in uh, one place, in Hebrews 12.1. Let us run with patience the race that's set before us, the agon that's set before us, the race, okay? it's also translated by the word fight, thinking of a, a sporting event, okay? It's never used in the New Testament, at least, of open warfare in a military sense, okay? Um, that's a different Greek word, right? So this one's used uh, of a conflict where all of our being is focused on victory, all right. And uh, so that's what Paul means when he says he has a conflict. He has a great conflict for them. He's very far away from them. There's no antagonism between them at all. This is a a, 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 a straightening. He uses that word also. It's a, a focusing with every part of his being on the issue at hand. In this case, his concern for the Philippians. OK, Um and for us, by implication. In Colossians 2.1, Paul writes in a similar way. He says, I would that you knew what great conflict, or Agan, what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Okay, so the words translated, those three words, those three ways, rather, uh, conflict, fight, and race. Okay? Now, is that statement important to us? I think it should be, and we'll see why as we look into it. I'll read it again. Unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Okay, let's move along to see how that uh, focuses the whole issue that's set before Paul when he writes this letter uh, and how important it is to him to state it in those terms. Okay, so let's see. Um, It is given unto you, he says. He says it is in verse 29. It's given unto you in the behalf of Christ. In other words, this whole thing is for Christ's benefit and glory in the end, right? Now, we know, and we've certainly been told in many ways, that God is working all things together for our good, okay? And Paul doesn't limit that in, in, in Romans chapter 8. 
he uses the word all in an unlimited fashion. And uh, those things that he's working together for good, if you go to the end of chapter 8, even involve many trials and uh, times of uh, of suffering f- uh, for us, right? And, and so what he's really saying uh, in all of these places, and there are so many, we made a list of all the places where Paul uh, writes about how God is working in the lives of believers. It would be a very, very long list, right? Well, None of them are for our harm, right? <laughs> but he has an eternal perspective, and that's the difference. Many times we have a very limited, uh, short-term personal perspective on what's happening, and we're overwhelmed by our circumstances as a result, right? But that is not to be. I mean, God has given us a way to live above all of those, and that's what this uh, letter is all about, how to apply, <laughs> right? teachings of grace to our lives so that we might actually have the kind of testimony that Paul had and that he writes about here. So he says, unto you it's given in the behalf of Christ. Then he says, not only, but also, very interesting wording, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. So in some sense, The faith to believe on him was a gift. In some sense, it's a gift, a free gift, right? And as well, in some sense, the suffering that often comes to us is also a gift. Now, he doesn't explain that here. He's he's making the assumption that the Spirit of God is going to uh, lay these uh, words on the hearts of those believers in Philippi, and, of course, by implication on our hearts as well, right? Uh, In other words, the Spirit will teach us uh, what this really means, not only to believe on him. Wow. Who is the giver of the gift, right? (laughs) It is Almighty God, right? And uh, we know a lot about that as believers today. Uh, Grace, I like to say, and many of us like to say grace believers because we're not just believing part of the of of the of the bible uh, as given by god but we're believing the specific part that relates to the finished work of christ and what's been accomplished through that right uh, in other words we're believing the gospel of the grace of god uh, and that's what's changed everything for us so he says it's it's a gift to believe that, and I think that if we consider the blindness that's in the hearts of all, we'll understand better what he means by that. Paul writes about that blindness. He re- writes about how it's uh, how it's um, removed, <clears throat> and how the gospel itself is the power of God unto salvation. In other words. Through the gospel, through the preaching, teaching of the gospel, the sharing of that in testimony, God brings power, removes blindness, and the gift of faith is such a blessing then in that kind of situation, right? Now, he also, though, adds these words, but also. So, it's given in behalf of Christ not only to believe, but also to suffer for his sake. He's not diminishing the faith there at all. 
that now he's adding something, but also it's given, in other words, to us to suffer for his sake in the behalf of Christ. So the faith is intended to go together with the suffering. And he writes uh, of that in many places, but this particular uh, statement of that is one of the shortest and most powerful of all. And I would say most blessed, right? You remember Paul also wrote right at the end of his ministry, just before his execution, just before his martyrdom, he wrote in Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Okay, so that is a statement. He doesn't say everybody's going to suffer persecution. There are ways to avoid it, right? He says all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, he doesn't end the statement that way in verse 29. You've got to get to verse 30 to see the ending. He says, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Having, in other words, while we enter into the, what he called the conflict, or the uh, enter into the race, the running of the race that he was involved in, right? When we've entered into that, then we have opportunity to comprehend what's going on that it's a blessing, in other words. It's given in the behalf of Christ for us to be there. And he says suffering is a part of that, suffering for his sake, okay? Given in behalf of Christ and suffering for his sake. So everything ultimately is focused on the Lord Jesus, right? The whole context of our lives is that. When Paul says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's what he's saying. Christ is the focus of everything that God is doing today. Okay? And I think that if somehow we believe, as many many do, many false teachers teach, in fact, many teachers who are not really false teachers but just confused also teach that somehow we can be delivered of all these conflicts. All we need is the right kind of faith. And that would be a great, great error indeed. If the great example set before us, right, for us to follow, namely Paul, right, states it the way we're reading here, then there's no possibility of having the right faith somehow delivering us from these various trials and sufferings, right? They are ordained, in other words. Okay, and that is a fact. That's what we're learning here. So now I want us to just see, Lisa, um, I nearly um, had thought that we would not look at these verses now, but I think we must, since we need to get the context of all of this. And it's only in Chapter 3 where Paul gives uh, this uh, detailed uh description of uh, what he was himself involved in. Uh, okay, so Lisa, would you please uh, read Philippians 3, verses 17 to 21? <clears throat> yes. Brethren, be followers together of me, 
and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it shall be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Thank you, Lisa. That's a, such a wonderful passage indeed, is it not? Um, oh, <clears throat> this is uh, the conflict, you see. Um, Paul says we we fight not against principle. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, let me start over. Our our warfare is not earthly, right? Our worldly says our warfare is heavenly, and the enemies are in the heavens, principalities and powers, in other words. Uh, <clears throat> so he says those that are caught up in this world are are um, not walking with the Lord at all, but they're serving another uh, another person, another entity, another, in this case, a spirit being, Satan himself, right? And they're greatest desire is to defeat the message of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says here, many are walking of whom I have told you often that they, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction. I won't read it again. It was just read for you, but um, he says, our conversation is in heaven or manner of life. I, I find this statement to be so meaningful, so direct, so appropriate for the days in which we live, we're living now just as it was then, right? Our conversation, our manner of living, it is in heaven, <laughs> right? I, I mean, nearly every believer would have to disagree with this, <laughs> right? If he's speaking honestly, um, our manner of conversation, our manner of living is right here on this earth, and there's every kind of uh, trial as a result, right? But what Paul says here is that it is in heaven for him. This is how he sees himself, and this is what his example is communicating, right? So many are on the other side of grace, right, which is the side of law and works. They're not walking with Paul in any sense of the word. But what Paul says is that, oh, would to God that you would walk with me in the realm of grace. So-called Christian culture is very unchristian. It's extremely worldly. Uh, but what Paul is saying here, by exalting his own, of course, testimony, is, is saying that our living is in heaven and not worldly in any sense. So, so it is, and that's Paul's statement here. Now, let's go on further. He talks about how the great power is worked out, and, uh, of course, he's pointing still, and I, I hope you can see this, but he's still pointing to his own example of it. 
he's going to get to Christ's example immediately. That's going to be the next section. We'll look at that next time. We'll begin to look at it. It'll take us a while to go through it. So when Paul now begins chapter 2, and I'd like to read uh, this one verse, uh, and then we'll have Patty read a few verses further. But in Philippians uh, 2, verse 1, there are these ifs, if, 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 okay. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, and Patty, please continue in verse 4 and read, or 2 and read to verse 4, if you would. Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one account, Accord, one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in loneliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Okay, Paul now again begins to use the word mind or cognate words over and over and over again. Uh, one of the major themes of the letter, as I've said before several times, is uh, this focus on mind in the sense of um, mode of thinking. You know, how, how is our mind working? It's not talking about adding two and two and getting four or something like that, right? He's talking about what's our mind set. In fact, we use uh, that word mindset in a similar way to the way Paul is using the word here. Uh, in fact, we, even in English, still have carried on some of this original meaning for the word mind in certain ways we use that word today. For example, <laughs> I just thought of one, uh, minding the store. If you're minding the store, it's not talking about whether you can give out change correctly at the cash register. It's talking about something far more important than that, right? And and that's the way Paul is using the word mind here. But he keeps repeating the word to emphasize his point. So he said, uh, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, being of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not, and that's actually, it just means to carefully examine, right? Which, of course, the mind does. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. So mind is a key word. But the first part of the sentence, because see, this is just the second part of the same sentence. It's the exhortation, right, that he's delivering to the Philippians. Because remember, they had a big issue in this area because of certain women who he singles out by their names, right, who were causing division in the, in the assembly, right? And that was one of the reasons for writing the letter. And one of the reasons for his conflict, for his inner, inner uh, struggle regarding this whole issue, Okay, so um, he sets himself forth as an example because his conversation is in heaven, right? 
his mind is focused on those things, the things that the Lord is doing, even while he's in prison in Rome, right? And the Lord was not delivering from the prison. Hmm. That's what his flesh wanted, but that's not what his mind wanted, okay? So when he says, if there be, if, 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 if here, any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any bowels and mercies. He's talking about himself. They'd been poured out in him, and they were set forth for all to see, right? Those virtues of the Spirit, right? Those virtues of the Spirit of Christ who dwelled within him, which he's already mentioned in the first few verses, right? That is what was set before everybody here as their example. And so he's able to say, based upon that, you, Philippian believers, should have the same mind, right? That I do. And that's what he says here and exhorts them to enjoy. And he says, fulfill ye my joy. Okay? So that brings us to the point I wanted to read, because the very next verse is let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So that's the transition to the focus on Christ himself, the primary example for Paul and, of course, for all, right? And so we reached these last verses, and I'd like Lisa just to read uh, <clears throat> Uh, and two more verses, which summarizes Paul's whole statement in reference to the <laughs> his final thought there, just as he ends this last letter just before his martyrdom. And here it's all summarized and set forth for our example. So, uh, Lisa, please read Second Timothy chapter four, verses seven and eight. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Thank you, Lisa. You can't tell from the English, but the word for fought there and the word for fight are these words based upon agon, uh, agony, okay? Both of those words. One's the verbal form, one's the noun, okay? So that Paul says, characterizes his mental state, right, uh, on behalf of the Philippians. So he says twice in one breath, this basically the same thing to emphasize it. Then he says, I've finished my course, okay? The Greek word for course is one of the other of several words used for race, used of an athletic event, right? I've finished my race, okay? Uh, kept, kept the faith, he says. And there's a definite article, kept the faith. It means he protected the faith, which is the body of doctrine given to the saints today under grace, right? Paul's whole life was dedicated to keeping the faith. And that, of course, involved sharing it with everyone the Lord gave him opportunity with, right? Notice he says what the end point is. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, 
which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but also to all them that love his appearing. So what's set forth is meant to influence everything about how we live today, right, under grace. You may be in a prison in Rome. That is not going to limit the work of God in and through you. It can't. Why not? Because this is all part of the Lord's ordination, right? And I think that that's one way of seeing the big difference between how grace works versus law. Under law, if you're obedient to the law, God gives you the blessings. If you're disobedient, he gives you the opposite, right? Under grace, he's always pouring out the blessings. But suffering is inevitable for those who take the challenge, right, and run this race. One can turn aside, yes, but one will miss out on the blessings of the race and the running of it, right? So praise the Lord, we have that opportunity today. You know, what Paul is sharing here is not what you can watch on the sports events on TV. Remember, and I remember way back in 1963, living at a boarding house at college, right? And on Saturday afternoon, they had this program, which had just started a year or two before, called The Wide World of Sports. And the theme of it was the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. And that's come down now to be the theme even for the Olympics, okay? But that's not what Paul is writing about here. He's not writing about the agony of defeat. He's writing about the agony of victory. I hope you understand that I made myself clear. <laughs> the agony, the challenge of the race leading to victory, right? And the victory is, of course, that Christ will be magnified in our bodies, whether by life or by death. Amen? Praise mm -hmm. the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Uh, well, any questions or comments before we close in prayer today? Uh, Jim, I do. Um, oh. The the verses that um, you had me read in Philippians three. Yes. I've always had a question about the word destruction in verse yes. nineteen. Yes. Um, those enemies uh, of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, mm -hmm. would that be referring to destruction, meaning that they're going to be destroyed at the uh, judgment seat of Christ because they're uh, believers, uh, they received salvation, but but didn't understand. Um, Paul's work and calling, or does that destruction mean that they're not saved? You can't tell from the verses, of course. The word destruction in, in the Greek is this the word uh, that's also translated perdition in several okay. places. Uh, <clears throat> and it doesn't mean, you know, lake of fire. <laughs> They'll certainly suffer destruction there, right? Unbelievers, right? Yep. Uh, but th this is uh, a more general word, and and what and so it can also apply to believers. Uh, 
And and the word means uh, quite literally, if we looked at it in a very wooden-headed sense, it means simply disillusion, meaning, and I like to think of it this way, um, <laughs> and I've felt this way physically a number of times, but uh, where everything just sort of falls into a heap. You're in a heap on the ground, right, basically. Everything's just falling apart. I mean, we often feel like this, don't we? We're <laughs> in the flesh, right? We've just lost control totally, and everything's just kind of, we use this expression, melted down, <laughs> kind of, right? That, that's what this word means, okay? And, uh, and I believe that certainly it is true for those that um, are saved truly, they believe the gospel of grace, but they've turned now to law and to works and to religion, right? Uh, at the judgment seat of Christ, it will all fall into pieces for them, okay? Wood, hay, and stubble. Burn. So that's very helpful uh, to me. So the destruction doesn't mean that they're not saved. It just means that they uh, they will suffer loss at the judgment seat of Christ. It's for saved people. Uh, right, and we know that Paul uh, had to deal with those often, right, who, who were believers, but who would not uh, submit to grace. I mean, they wanted to uh, bring law back in, even circumcision, the things things of the law, right? They were uh, many were Judaizers, right? Uh, some were saved, uh, many were not. But uh, what Paul writes here, I, I think, is uh, very uh, pertinent uh, and very applicable to so many today who do know Christ. There's really no question if you speak with them about the gospel, they're, they're quite clear in their testimony, right? And right. yet, spend their lives really uh, uh, trying to force some kind of legalism on everyone else, right? Right. And Paul here says he has, he's weeping for them, right? And, and that they are the enemies of the cross. Uh, in Paul's letters, the cross takes on much more significance than just a, a piece of wood upon which the Savior died. In fact, in Paul's letters, the cross of Christ that speaks about this this whole race that we're on, right, to, to as, as part of Christ's body, he's suffering together with us, we're suffering together with him, as it were, uh, and uh, we are the, uh, the vessels, the weakened, the weak vessels, yet upon whom the glory of God rests and through whom uh, the glory of God is displayed to the world. Okay, so uh, Paul says of himself and the other apostles, says we're like the <laughs> scum of the earth, the offspring <laughs> of all things, right? And and you and I know what that feels like, too, when dear friends turn against us because of our stand for the grace of God. Right. But, he says... Uh, all is glorious indeed. If you look at the end point, he says, uh, who shall change our vile body? That, that, by the way, vile is another one of those words. It doesn't mean despicable, okay? It, <laughs> kind of the way we often use it today. It, it means humbled, humbled. Uh, our humble body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according 
to the working whereby he's able even to subdue all things unto himself. So God has a purpose to work out now. He will finish it uh, at at the point where we are caught up into heaven's glory. Amen. Amen. Any other comments before we close today in prayer? Okay. Well, let's go to the Lord. Father God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for gathering us today in this blessed and precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ, seated at your right hand in the heavenlies, waiting for that moment to call us forth uh, into his very, very presence. Yes, Father, uh, the Spirit of Christ indwells within us at this current moment. We have his life. It is a life that's eternal. But, Father, there are still many things that uh, come upon us here in this world and uh, many things yet to be accomplished before the work of Christ is finally completed in this world and we are left here for a witness and a testimony so father thank you for the privilege of suffering with our lord jesus christ and may we be a blessing to all in christ's name